The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. My name is Carl Anderson, and um, I'm on the apprentice program here at the, at the bridge to become an elder. And um, you guys can hear me, right? Okay, good. I got two mics going. I figured one will work. So um, I'll just tell you, um, it was really cool walking into church this morning. After a couple years of COVID, it's kind of cool to see the church full and all singing. It was just a wonderful feeling walking up to the front. I got two little boys, and we normally sit in the back. And... Uh, we're in the front row today, but I'll tell you, there's a different feeling when you're up here in the front. It's, just, it's a really cool feeling versus sitting in the back. Um, so some of you in the back, it's pretty cool up here in the front, too. So <laughs> morning, Bob. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're going to be doing Revelations chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove you from, your, from its place." But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you. Well, good morning. As we venture deeper into Revelation, um, we are looking at the churches now, starting in chapter 2, and we are coming from a perspective where we look at this prophetic writing, this, uh, this revelation given to the Apostle John as futuristic, as something that will come to pass, that God is doing and working. There's other views of Scripture of how this has worked out, but the way we are looking at this, the way uh, we are studying and, and and going through it, is that this is history to come. This is what the world will look like leading up to the return of the king. And so you may have heard different things, just know that we're premillennial, pre-tribulational in the teaching of this. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, that's okay. <laughs> but I just want to, uh, I know we have several visiting with us, so you'll know the perspective at which I am, I am teaching this morning. We see here in chapter 2, John starts writing to the churches, and he starts with this church in Ephesus. Now, these are actual churches that are, that are present during the time when John is given this revelation, but there's things that God is saying to the churches that he's saying to them in this moment, but he's also saying to us today. And we saw that because this is apocalyptic writing, when he talks about the seven golden lampstands, he's talking about the fullness of the church. Not just these seven churches, but the fullness of the bride. He's speaking to all of us. 
And so when he talks about the seven stars who are the angels, he's talking about the fullness of the angelic hosts. And so in this moment, John is starting to write what he is told to, to give to the churches. And so we see in verse 1, he says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the golden lampstands. So he holds the seven stars, meaning all authority in heaven of the angelic host, all authority over them is Christ's. He is the one who holds them in his right hand, the, the hand of power and strength. And it, he is the one, it says here, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He is the Lord of the church. He is the Lord of our church. He walks among us. The Spirit of Christ is here with us today. Just as we talked about there is an angel given to minister to the bridge and to this fellowship, there is Christ, the Spirit of Christ, walking among us even today. He is the one who walks among his bride. And so I want us to also take note, and I'm going to come back to it, in this verse, he identifies himself. So he talks about a little bit about who he is here. And that's significant because when he talks to each church, he identifies himself a little bit differently. It's the fullness of who Jesus is when we look at each church, and we've already seen that in chapter 1. But there's something specific about the name that he has that he highlights when he talks to each church. And so that's going to be something we're going to see a little bit further down in our passage. So looking at verse 2, he says this, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. He says, I know your works. I hope that takes, I hope that brings comfort. Like Jesus knows your works. Sometimes we're wondering, like, did anybody see that? <laughs> did anybody notice what I did? Like, I, I was helping in this ministry, or I was doing this thing, or I was serving this person, or, and it's like, no one ever seems to come along and say, hey, good job, or give you that pat on the back, or that encouragement. Like, it, does anybody notice? There's ministries in the church, let's just be honest, there's ministries in the church that are, are based around hospitality, and you notice them when they're working well, in the sense that you're like, oh... I came into the bridge and there was hot coffee and, and people were really friendly and they greeted me and somebody was holding the door and all that. And then you go to another fellowship and you're like, man, that place is cold. Like nobody talked to me and I didn't know where to get the coffee. And eventually I wandered into the pastor's office just to get the coffee from his Keurig. And then, you know, like, it's like, you, you just, you notice it kind of on the, on the, by and by, but those who are serving, sometimes they're like, does anybody even notice? Does anybody care? Like, I've been doing this faithfully for a long time. What would happen if I stopped? People would notice, but Jesus notices. He says to the church there, he says, I see your work. As a body, as a fellowship in your community, Ephesus, I see all that you're doing. Here at the bridge, Jesus is looking down. He says, Bridge Bible Church, I see your work. Now, we should be encouraged, but at the same time, doesn't that kind of give you, <laughs> gives me chills. Uh, you're like, oh gosh, what is it that you see? <laughs> Good or bad, he says, I see, what, I see your life. 
it's unfolded before me. I see the life of your body. I see how your fellowship is living, how it's working. Here he says to the church some very encouraging things. He's watching what they're doing. He knows the heart behind it. He knows what goes into all of it. He says, the toil, the patient endurance, the not bearing with evil. He's like, I see these things. And and he notices the, the growth in that church of the Holy Spirit. Look at that, the patient endurance. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. We can have it individually, but as a church, we can have it. As we walk in the fullness of God, as the Spirit of God moves in this place, we as a body can be a patient body of believers who endure, who toil, who not bear with evil in our community. He can see the same things in us that he sees in Ephesus. And he says, I see what what you are doing, the not bearing with evil, the testing those who claim authority and finding it to be false. Well, in this day and age, it was not uncommon that there would be preachers who would come and go, and some would say, oh, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And they'd say, are you really? And they'd say, yes, I was one of his, one of his people. I'm, and they'd say, well, tell us this testimony. Did you really behold him? Did you see him? Are you really an apostle? And they would test the work of that person coming in. And he says to them, you would test them, and you would find them to be false. And what they would do is say, depart from us. Like, you're not an apostle. We're not going to follow your teaching. There were people who would come into that fellowship, into that city, and claim authority and try to move the church into the areas of life that they wanted it moved, not to follow Christ, not to follow God. And listen, brothers and sisters, that happens today still. There's people, I mean, just a quick internet search, you can click on all kinds of people who claim authority, who claim that we should be listening to them, we should be following them, that have the new revelation or a new truth from God or something that the church should be listening to, and we are to test them. We are to test them. And when they are not following Christ, when they are not adhering to the revelation of his word, when they don't come in line with who God is and what he says to us, we we say, we are not going to follow that. And we just move on. We push them away. We say no to that. He says to them, you're not bearing with evil. The intention of that heart is is to deceive, is to shipwreck their faith, is to move them into whatever this preacher wants. And he says, you've tested those things and you found it to not be true. And so you've rejected it. And Jesus says, I see that, and that's very good. That's very good. You're, you're, you're adhering to what the Spirit has given them, the teachings that have come from Christ. He says, you've been bearing under persecution because of Christ. In this time, there was, when the church was born, there was a riot that happened in Ephesus. And so there was this, There's this time where Paul was in Ephesus preaching and teaching, and God was moving in powerful ways. In fact, it was was so miraculous that as he was teaching and preaching, people just wanted his handkerchief or his shadow to come by. Like they just wanted to touch a piece of his material that he had, and they were being healed, or they just wanted him to walk by and his shadow to follow him, they were being healed. There's this powerful movement of God in Paul and in the ministry in Ephesus, and God was doing some amazing things. But in the same time, he had persecution from the Jews. When he was in the synagogue teaching, 
there was those who got jealous of this and they just said, no, we, you know, they puffed up with pride and they're like, we're going to reject Paul. We're going to reject this Jesus. We don't know, like we don't want that. And so he's like, all right. So he would go what we would say to the modern day school. He's like, we'll just go over to Somerset High School and we'll just start a fellowship over there. That's pretty much what Paul does. He goes over to a, another area, starts a fellowship there and he starts teaching and preaching there and people are coming and knowing Christ. It's so much so it starts changing that whole community, that whole city. Ephesus is not a small town like Somerset. It's like he's teaching and preaching and he's changing, not Paul, but God is changing like the Twin Cities. Do you believe he can do that today? Yeah, I do. I'm praying for that here, that revival and that transformation is here. But what was it? Faithfulness to the word, faithfulness to Christ. Just preaching and teaching, inviting people into the presence of Christ. And so Paul's doing that. And all of a sudden, these silversmiths get together and they're like, wait a minute, we have this big temple to Artemis and nobody's buying our trinkets anymore because no one's going to the temple. And so in Acts chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, you read this. When they heard this, these are all the other artisans, when they hear that nobody's really coming along like they used to, nobody's buying their stuff anymore, nobody's worshiping Artemis, they're all starting to worship this Jesus, it says this, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and, I can't even read that from here, Asherixus. Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel, Aristarchus. Aristarchus. <laughs> That's why you got him in your hand there, buddy. <laughs> so he pulls the city into confusion, these, these silversmiths, and they're rioting. They're throwing a, a, an adult temper tantrum. Great is Artemis! It's like, Football Sunday, you know, at Super Bowl time, and your, your favorite team's in it, and someone's like, oh, your guys are going down. You're like, our team's the best! You know, that's what they're doing. And there's just this confusion, and there's persecution, and they're pulling in these people. And Paul talks to Timothy about these experiences. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself for he strongly opposed our message. So this is what the Spirit is showing John. This is what he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He, Jesus says, I see it all. I see that you're walking through it. You've gone through these things. You've, you've endured the toil of the ministry, patience that has come through, not bearing with evil, being under persecution and bearing under it because of the name of Jesus. All of these things, all of these things are good. Christ is commending them for that work. He, he said, this is good. Christ sees that they can grow tired thinking about the toil and the weariness. He sees that they can grow tired in the work, but in patience, that fruit of the Spirit, he is saying that they have not grown tired of the work. That's, for me, an area of confession. I was thinking about that, and I thought, there are times where I struggle with growing tired of the work. 
Not in the work, but of the work. And that's not right. Why is that? Well, we're going to come back to it here in a minute. We're going to see because I individually can struggle just like the Ephesians did. But he says, overall, he sees this and he says, you haven't grown tired in the work, but in patience, you have not grown tired of it. You've, you, you might be worn down physically, but you're thriving in it. So, as we think about this, we see verses 4 and 5. There's a shift. And I still have my thought. I'll come back to my confession. So don't, you're like, what were you going to say, Rob? What were you going to say? <laughs> verses 4 and 5. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says, but I have this against you. I have this against you. You've left your first love. For what? What have they left their first love for? Well, look at the things that they're thriving in for good works. They're doing good ministry. They're thriving in things. Like their church is doing the things a church should do. But they're not focused on Jesus in the doing them. They're focused on the ministry. They're focused on the works. They're focused on those things that all too often we walk in and out of churches and we're saying, does your church have this for me, for my family, for my kids? Do you do this well? Is your worship a certain way? Does Pastor Rob make me laugh and does he preach well enough for me to stay, you know? And that becomes self-centered. It becomes insular. It becomes focused on self and on, on our desires and our whims. And we're doing those ministries for Jesus. <laughs> we're doing it for his glory. But he says, I have this against you. You've left your first love. He says, you're not doing the things that you did at first. He says, he says, you, you need to repent. You need to come back. You, you need to remember from where you have fallen. Okay, to my confession. Why do I grow tired of the work? It's because I get my eyes off Jesus. I get to this place at times as a pastor, and I'm sure you can in any ministry that you do, but I get to a place at times where I just, you fall into a pity party. Just like, there wasn't many people there this week, and I don't know where they all went to vacation, but they all went together, and I don't know. And, and, it's, and you think, well, I, you know, I didn't hear any feedback on this, and our ministries are struggling here, and I don't And you start thinking about all these different things, and you start thinking about self and all the stuff that God's called you to do, and, and, and these are beautiful things that God has called me into, and there's beautiful things that God has called you into. But when we get our eyes on ourselves and we leave our first love, all of a sudden we're doing ministry for the sake of ministry or for the sake of self, and you get tired of it. You see those men and women in, in church and in ministry for, for the Lord, and they're just excited every time you see them. And you're like, how can they just love that? It's because they're loving Jesus. They're just like, I can't wait to be there. I can't wait. You know, Bob's one of those guys. He's going to hug you. Bob's like, I can't wait to... <laughs> yeah, you've got two shout-outs today. That's like, we're going for a record. Later, I'll see if I can work another one in. But it's like, you know, he's one of those guys. He's always smiling, gives you hugs. He's just like, oh, good to see you. And it's like, this, that genuine joy of the Lord. 
There's others in this fellowship that have that too. That just that genuine joy that just comes out. And they just, they're just always serving and doing a thing. And you're thinking, man, how can they do that week after week? Because they're not doing it for them. They're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the Lord. They're, they're thinking about those people they're going to bless. They're thinking about those things that God has called them into. And they just love doing what God has called them to do. So, the church in Ephesus took their eyes off Jesus and they're doing ministry. They're doing good things. <clears throat> but they left the first love. Doctrinal purity, you know, testing, making sure the, the gospel is sound, making sure the Bible teaching is correct and good, making sure that people are hearing truth and not opinion of the culture. Doctrinal purity is important. Opposing false doctrine, that's, that's important. Warning the saints of those who would mislead them. And, and when you hear about false teaching and things, that, those things are also, they're important. But now I want to go back to verse 1 and look at the name of Jesus here. Verse 1, he says, Him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He is the Lord of all. All authority is in his hand. Jesus is in control. So we don't need to try and take it over. We're like, all right, Jesus, I got it from here. Tag team. Let me in. Let me in. Come on. You know, like we don't need to do that. Jesus doesn't sit in heaven wringing his hands going, oh man, I hope Rob gets this right because man, I really need his help. No, he's got authority over all. He walks among the lampstand here. He holds this the seven stars, the angels in his hand. We don't have to take it over. We don't have to do his job for him. So we need to let him be for us who he is or let Jesus be for you who you need him to be. When it comes to his name, there's times in life where God will highlight parts of his character and who he is to you. And he says, at this time in your walk, at this point in your life that you're living right now, you need me to be this for you. I'm highlighting that for you. Pay attention to me. Get your eyes on me because I will be this for you because this is who I am. He's many things. But here to the church of Ephesus, he says, you need to understand, church of Ephesus, that I am the one who is in charge. I'm the one in control. I'm the one who has all authority. So you don't have to get your eyes off me. I don't need your help keeping purity and doctrine. I can do that. He's God. He can guard and shepherd us, and so we can, we can relax on that. We can let God be God and get our eyes back on him and serve with joy and not grow weary. So he says, so those things that they're going after, they just pale compared to the love of Jesus. They pale to the desire to know him more completely and that zeal to make him known. Consider a few moments out of Scripture. So think about these first moments in Scripture here. Mark 7, verse 36. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. So Jesus does this miracle. And he does a healing. He says, now don't tell anybody. And they're running around. They're like, I got to tell everybody. <laughs> you know? And it's just like, why would they do that? Well, they're excited. God is 
changed me. He's touched my life. He's shown up. Here, here the Lord is. He's done this miraculous thing. You need to know him. And they're just telling everyone this, this zeal, this love that comes at first when they meet him. John 4, 25 through 30, it says this. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. This is the woman at the well. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now this woman was a woman who had to go in the, in the hot part of the day. She had a life that was broken and people would disassociate from her. And Jesus has compassion on her, speaks to her and says, I am the Christ. I am the one you're waiting for. And she goes to the town and she's like, everybody, you got to come see this guy. He told me everything that I ever did. He knows my life. And those who would not associate with her are coming to meet him. They're like, well, we got to see this guy. She meets him, that encounter, that first love. I got to tell people about this Messiah. Mark chapter 5, verses 14. It says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. In verses 18 and through 20, it goes on. And he was sitting, uh, and he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So here, this is the man in the tomb who is possessed by legion. And Jesus shows up and sets the man free. He's setting people free today still. And this man is sitting there in his right mind and clothed, and the demon is cast out and sent into the pigs, and the pigs run into the water, and they all die. And the herdsmen see it, and they're afraid. They're like, what in the world? I just lost my whole stock here. Like, what's going on? They run to the town. They're like, something's happened. The town comes out. They see it. And guess what? They're afraid of Jesus. They're like, go away from us. Go away from us. But this man, he says, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, go and tell people what the Lord's done for you. So he goes into the Decapolis. Here is one of the first commissioned missionaries for the Lord. He goes into the Decapolis and he just starts telling people about Jesus. Jesus told me to come tell you what he's done. <laughs> and so that first, that first love, that first moment, that zeal for wanting to be with him, to go with him. And then Acts 4, 18 through 20, we read this. This is... Peter and John, and they're in front of the, the religious council. And it says, And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whatever is right in the sight of whatever is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen, but we cannot but speak of what we have seen. 
and heard. And so they're, they're saying, don't you tell anybody about this, Jesus. You stop it. We'll be okay. If you just be quiet and shut up, we'll let you go. And they're like, well, you be the judge, but we're just going to tell everybody what God's done. We're just going to keep talking about him. Just that boldness, that zeal. Look what God has done. Look what he's still doing. We, we just have to tell people. This is what he's talking about. This is first love. This is first love activity right here. This is like, I saw Jesus and I have to tell you about him. When I was a young man in college, I got saved and I was on a baseball team in college and doing that whole deal. And that's a rough thing in itself when you're an athlete and, you know, and I would get in fist fights over Jesus. <laughs> People would be like, what about, we were playing Liberty University, and one of the guys is like, John 3.16 should be on their jerseys. And I'm like, do you even know what that says? And they're like, oh, shut up, man. I'm just making a joke. I'm like, you want to go? Like, I'm a little fight about Jesus, you know? Like, that zeal, that's first love zeal. That, that moment, think about that moment when you gave your life to the Lord. Maybe it was dramatic. Maybe you're weeping and crying. Maybe it was just kind of like, yeah, I want Jesus. And it just seemed like, the natural progression of where you were. But after that, that when the Spirit comes and quickens your spirit, when you become alive, there's just something in you you're just like, I want people to know about this. I need to tell people about this. Like, I want to know more about his word. I want to read a little bit more in the Bible. And, and you start doing those first love activities. That's what Jesus is saying to the church. Church, bridge, there are first love activities for us to be doing. Don't lose sight of Jesus, guys. Together, we look at him and we say, we're going after him, and we got to tell people about him. we got to tell them about the freedom that comes with Christ. So Jesus says for the church to, to pursue him above all else. Christ is the one. Here, he's the one who walks among the golden lampstands. So he is the one who is the high priest of heaven. So what does that mean? It means he cares for the lampstand. He cares for the church. He's the one who tends to us. He lights the lamp meaning he establishes the church. Yes, Pastor Brian was the church planter, and some of you here today were on those teams, and you remember when you were at Somerset High School, and you remember all the different stages that you went through. I mean, Stan, you were one of the first elders. Jim, you were one of the first elders. You guys have endured a long time, and you've seen the whole progression. But it was Jesus who established it. It wasn't Brian. It wasn't the elders. It was Christ. He's the one who puts the lampstand in Somerset. He's the one who establishes the church. He lights the lamp. He pours oil. That's the Holy Spirit. He fills the church with the Spirit. He fills us. He trims the wicks, the pruning that is needed, producing the optimal and best light. He is the one who, and this is the scary part, he is the one who will snuff out the lamp if it doesn't burn clear and burn bright but if it's smoking and keeps giving off dimmed light, he'll extinguish it. And that's what he's telling the church of Ephesus. He says, listen, <laughs> it's like that threat you, you hear from parents, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. <laughs> it's kind of like that. He said, I established you there and I'll remove you. It's for his glory, for his fame. He puts us here for his possession we are to reflect Christ to those around us. We are to show forth the glories of Christ and, and call people into his marvelous light, which we are reflecting, which comes out from us. It's not produced by us. It's, it's him, the great high priest of heaven. 
ministering among us. Acts chapter 2, verses 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord adds day by day. The Lord adds. What does that mean? It means ministry is great. Activities that we do, the things that we have, they, they, they in themselves are not bad. They can be good. The children's ministry, youth ministry, uh, hospitality things that we do, ways we outreach, all of those ministries and things are good. But who adds to the church? It is Christ who adds. Who saves those who are lost? It is Christ who saves. Who brings them in? It is Jesus. Who sanctifies and transforms us? It is Jesus. Well, we can't lose sight of that. And so often the church, when we lose sight of Jesus, we say, oh, if we just had the right ministry that just hit the culture in just the right way, we would fill this place. Well, yeah, we could fill this place. We could do giveaways and we could do all kinds of stuff. We could have people coming in. We could fill it up. We could have really cool, kitschy music and stuff that people loved and, and it's just upbeat and that. And we could say all kinds of good stuff to encourage the self-esteem of those who are going to hell. We can make them feel good as they're on their way to their final destination, separated from God. We could fill this place. We could have ministries that do that. But we are not like that. We're different. We preach Christ and him crucified for sinners. We preach forgiveness of sin through him and through his blood at the cross. We, we preach redemption and, and a re restoration of a, a relationship with God. It's, it's what Ephesus is to be doing. It's what we are to be doing. So what's the first love of the church? What's well, Christ? He is the first love. And seeing others know him and come into his presence. What's that work at first? Well, it's the sharing. It's the inviting. It's the praying. It's the serving. It's the loving. All of that centered. So how do we do that today? Like, how do we do that? Well, before I answer that, I want us to look at this in verse 6. Verse 6, he says this. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Now, Nicholas was a proselyte of Antioch in Acts chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. This is where he shows up. It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So this man was one of the first deacons of the church in Jerusalem. And Nicholas, a proselyte, means he came from a pagan culture and became Jewish. And then he heard the gospel and he converted from Judaism to Christ. And then from Christ, he wanted to grow more in his faith. And, and uh, Irenaeus and Eusebius, uh, church fathers, write about this man. And they, they say he wanted to, to grow in his spirituality and his faith. And he, he became more harsher and stricter on the treatment of his flesh to grow in his spirituality. So what he was doing is he was denying the flesh and putting it to death and saying, no, I want Jesus above everything. And he, and he made the, the physical earthly to be nothing. He's just like, this is not what I'm indulging in. I'm going after Jesus. And so this man was, was following Jesus 
And he had people who were following him. And both of the church fathers said, as they look back, they believe he was a moral man, but, but fell in order to, to grow spiritually, he had to hold the flesh with contempt. Well, from there, his teaching was then twisted by others and a form of Gnosticism was began. And this is what we read from church history. It says, these Gnostics said, since the flesh is unimportant... What one does in the flesh is of no value or consequence. So spiritual life, growth, and ultimately salvation occur in the soul. And since God is spirit, he has no regard for the flesh either. So the Nicolaitans who followed Nicholas believe, what does it matter if I satisfy my fleshly desires? And that trajectory continued till the followers of the Nicolaitan philosophy began living licentious lifestyles, embracing all forms of immorality, all forms of evil. It became what Christ hates, and the church hated it. So Nicholas, this man who said, I want to follow Jesus, and this is how I'm growing and following it, those who followed him took it in a different direction, took it a different step. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. This happens all the time. I mean, we think of Martin Luther saying, we need to reform the Catholic Church. There's, there's practices here that need to be corrected biblically. And so he, he says, I need to, we need to correct it. And the church says no to Luther. And what happens? His followers form the Lutheran Church. You have Wesley who says, we need to reform the Anglican Church. There's abuses happening and things, and, and it's just not in the Scriptures. And we need to reform the Anglican Church. And what happens? They reject him well, he doesn't ever stop being Anglican, but his followers start, what? The Methodist church. John Stott, who is one who has not passed really that long ago, he had a, a view of women in ministry that, that was good, that, that was looking for complementarian, but how do we, how do we lift up and, and see the fullness of Christ's body, men and women? How do we get them to serve? How do we put them in, in positions that make sense, that are biblical, and that they can use the gifts that Christ has given them? And so John Stott was this guy who did not take this step, but after him, his followers go into what? A strong egalitarianism. And they move women into a different role of ministry that John Stott never said that he would have done egalitarian theology, and, and you are able to talk with me later about these things, but uh, egalitarian theology has the softening of the gender roles, and over time, when egalitarian, I remember uh, I was a Southern Baptist, a young guy in seminary and stuff, and Southern Baptist said, those egalitarians are way off, and the egalitarians said, no, we're, we're, we're right where we're supposed to be, and they said, you're going to run into this, down this road, you're going you're gonna to have some errors because you're, you're running on a trajectory that we don't think is right. And the egalitarians said, well, what is that? And they said, you're going to start affirming homosexuality. And they said, no, we're not because the Bible's against it. So early on, egalitarians said, no, we're not taking that step. We're just talking about roles of men and women. And we're affirming what the Bible says and this and this and this and this. They softened that stance. And over time, what happens? The followers today are LGBT affirming doctrines. You see the shifts. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful to, to realize what may start as good, if it's not 
watched carefully, it can move from Christ until it no longer has anything to do with Christ. That's what happened with the Nicolaitans. And Jesus says, I hate this. They have moved people into living contrary to what the truth is. And they are making disciples of hell, not disciples of the Lord. So as a church and as individuals, we need to be careful to live in light of Christ, in light of the teachings, in having the Bible be authority over us, speaking to us, shaping us, not us shaping it or fitting it into the culture. This shapes us. We don't shape it. And if we're honest, even the most conservative among us will read things in here that we bristle against because it's hard. But that's who God is, and this is what God has said. And he's transforming us, and he's changing us into the likeness of Jesus. And so he is working in this church. So verse 7, he says, He who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He who has an ear. So Jesus is asking, are you tuned in spiritually? Are you tuned in spiritually? Not just listening, but hearing. And if you have little kids, or if you raise little kids, you have to, you've had that conversation. It's like, do you hear me? I want you to clean up your room. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'll clean it. It's like, do you hear me? They're like, yeah, I'm listening. No, no, no. Do you hear me? Like, not listening. Do you hear me? Are you acknowledging what I'm saying? That's what this is. He who has an ear, are you tuned in? Are you not just listening, but are you receiving it? Are you, are you hearing what the Spirit is saying? So back to the question, how do we pursue our first love? What does, it, what does our works look like? Well, again, our works can be varied, but they are all relationally centered on Jesus and on others. So here's five things to keep in mind. One, keep Christ central. Whatever he calls you to, keep him in the center. Number two, don't neglect your relationship with Christ. Don't get sidetracked with other things or devotionals or the next neat Christian fad that's come along. Spend time in prayer, in the word, with Jesus, having the Spirit speak to you. Don't neglect that relationship with Christ. Number three, prioritize your personal world rightly under Christ. So all the other relationships, all the other things, prioritize them rightly. Jesus should be number one. Okay? Sometimes we just have Jesus in our top three or top five. No, he's number one and then prioritize under that rightly. Number four, don't become indifferent, tolerant, or numb to sin. When we start becoming indifferent, tolerant or numb, usually it starts with us. We, we're indifferent to our own sin. We come numb to our own sin. And then we start, well, it's not that bad. And we justify what the world's doing. And the next thing you know, we're, <laughs> we're in with it. We're in with the world. We're living like the world. No, don't, don't become numb to it. Continue to, to recognize it. Repent of it. Put it off. Turn to Christ. Let him refresh you and set you free from those things. And number five, let all you do be motivated out of love for Jesus and a love for people. 
Let all you do, that's the great commandment, love God with all that you have and love others as yourself. So these five things, if you keep them in mind, uh, I just wrote these down, um, they will help you keep your eyes centered on Christ. Will you pray with me? And then we're going to transition a little bit here. We have the Lord's Supper and we also have a special commissioning that we're going to be a part of today. But but pray with me and this will end our portion of, of the Bible teaching here. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this revelation and uh, Holy Spirit, this is not easy stuff. Lord, you, you, you know just where to, where to get us. And we want to be full of love and compassion just as you were, Lord Jesus. We want to see people set free. We want to see transformation happen. We want to see our community change, just like Ephesus. But Lord, we don't want to lose sight of you. We don't want to get so distracted with the mission that we forget about the Lord of the mission. So keep our eyes fixed firmly on you, Lord Jesus. And then, Father, we pray that the Spirit would just do what he does well and, and bring that conviction to us, that, that places of, of change that need to happen in us. And may we just submit with joy to say, Lord, I know what you're doing for me is better than what I want. And may we just submit. And as a church, Lord, may we have our eyes fixed on you. May we preach and tell people about Jesus who changed our lives and has given us this beautiful lampstand here in Somerset. May people come and know you, that you are the Lord who delights in restoring and changing and rescuing and breaking people free from what sin has brought. Lord, we just ask that you would be glorified in this body, the bridge, and that you would be exalted among us. We thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.